بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على رسول الله وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين Thank you all for being here Thank you all for carving out time to come to the house of Allah on a Tuesday night We ask Allah to accept our efforts in regards to this gathering We ask Allah to let it be one of those gatherings in which each and every one of us we leave forgiven and receive Allah's mercy in this life and most importantly in the next رَبِّ اغْفِرْ وَارْحَمْ وَأَنْتَ خَيْرُ الرَّاحِمِينَ أَمْنِ رَبِّ الْعَالَمِينَ So the intention <coughs> behind these gatherings on Tuesday evenings, inshallah, is to slowly but surely go through this book, uh, which Noel suggested, and it's a really awesome book, uh, Heart Therapy 40 Hadith on Tezkiyah. Uh, the, in the WhatsApp group, again, there's the link for the PDF. There's also the link if you want to purchase a copy, which I would uh, definitely recommend if possible. And uh, if not, let me know, and that can be uh, figured out on the side, inshallah. And then there's also the, the video playlist for anybody who's curious to check out the video. And sometimes it's only audio uh, from the author himself, Dr. Ali Al-Barghuthi. Uh, so there's some really good insights. There's a lot of good, um, a, a lot of really good knowledge and, and material there, basically, if anybody wants to check out whichever hadith we're on before coming or even after attending, just to you know add more flavor to the experience. There's definitely a lot of benefit there. Uh, so, the reason why uh, we decided on this specific topic is because the concept of tezkiyah, the concept of purification of the heart, purification of the soul, is always relevant to all of us so long as we're alive. No one can ever get to a point, none of us can ever get to a point where we think to ourselves, no matter how much we pray or fast or give charity or read Qur'an or you name it, we never get to a point, we can never get to a point where we can kick our feet up and think to ourselves that, okay, there's no longer a need for tezkiyah, now I can just chill and coast for the rest of my life, I've probably done a million good deeds, and I should be okay. The best example that we have in terms of the importance of the value of continuously trying to do good, so long as we live, is the Prophet himself, Allah says at the end of Surah 15, Surah Al-Hijr, وَعْبُدْ رَبَّكَ حَتَّى يَأْتِيَكَ الْيَقِينَ To worship your Lord, to serve your Lord, until what is certain comes to you, and by unanimous consensus from our scholars, this refers to death. So if the best human being ever, والسلام, is commanded by God to continue to worship so long as he's alive, until death comes to him, والسلام, then he's the best example, and the best thing that we can try to do is to follow in his footsteps, so long as we live and we ask Allah to help us to do so. Allah says in Surah Al-Shams, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَّهَ وَقَدْ خَابَ مَنْ دَسَاهَ Allah says in Surah Al-A'la, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ تَزَكَّهَ وَذَكَرَ اسْمَ رَبِّهِ فَصَلَّهَ These ayahs remind us and clearly indicate the importance of tazkiyah, the importance of purification of the soul. Allah says for those who do tazkiyah, who value tazkiyah, because it's, it's a process of action, right? It's not just information and knowledge, but it requires effort. It requires like internal polishing and some elbow grease, essentially. Um, so in, in these ayahs, for example, in Surah Shams, Allah says, for those who do tazkiyah, قَدْ أَفْلَحَ مَنْ زَكَاهَا وَقَدْ أَخَابَ مَنْ So if you prioritize tazkiyah and you do that, you're, you focus on purifying your soul so long as you live, because it's a, it's a daily and nightly process. It's not just in Ramadan and then the rest of the 11 months of the year, we kind of abandon it, only Hajj season, and then we don't worry about it. The idea is little by little by little, over time, one drop at a time will result in an ocean accumulating. 
inshallah. So all, believe me, all this is a reminder for myself first and foremost. So the intention, inshallah, for all of us is we're all coming here to share horizontally, to, to share and discuss. And um, I do want to remind everyone that it is a safe space. So anything that you're comfortable, it is live right now, but obviously I'm the only one who's uh, on camera. If anybody is comfortable sharing anything, that's at your discretion. And if anybody is not, that's totally fine as well. There are no expectations either way. The primary intention, we come here, we gather, we have a really fruitful uh, and beneficial discussion, inshallah. And by the way, the more, the more often that more people contribute to, the, to that discussion is where the main fruit of any halaqah lies, is in the discussion from anyone and everyone attending uh, as much as possible and as much as people are comfortable, inshallah. We'll go ahead and begin with hadith one. Again, the intention is to go through it slowly but surely. We're not necessarily doing things in a way where Every, every week is one hadith, so then the intention is to, you know, complete this book within 40 weeks. We're actually not doing that. And at times, especially regarding this topic, the slower the better. The more spiritual marination, the better. I say that for myself first and foremost. Even if you look at those few ayat, prioritizing tazkiyah, they're very short ayahs in rather short surahs. But Allah is promising us that we'll be successful forever and ever and ever. خَالِدِينَ فِيهَا أَبَدًا Inshallah, if we prioritize that especially. It's not only about that, but sometimes it's overlooked. Uh, when you look at Hadith Jibreel, there are, it's essentially a three-legged stool. You have Islam, you have Iman, you have Ihsan. Tazkiyah tying in with Ihsan. If a person perfects their five daily prayers and the other pillars of Islam, Really awesome, really important. If a person, if they thoroughly study and understand the pillars of Iman, really awesome, really important. But that's still two out of the three legs for that stool, right? The third one being Ihsan, the third one being uh, Tazkiyah, purification of the heart and soul. And we ask Allah to make us from among those who put in that effort for both internal and external purity. Ameen. We'll go ahead and begin with Hadith 1. Um, there. So what I'll do is I'll read through the, the Hadith, the translation of the Hadith, inshallah. And then we can figure it out as we go along. Some people may be more comfortable with reading. Some people may be less comfortable. Again, there are no expectations either way. I have no problem doing the reading when it's time to read. If I end up doing all of it, that's totally fine. Or if I end up doing very little, and if other people want to contribute and want to volunteer to read, that's totally fine, right? So we can figure it out together as we move along, inshallah. Uh, I know there's the intro, I know there's a lot of good in the intro, but I do want to go straight to Hadith 1, and then for anyone who's interested in going over the introduction, uh, then you can always do so on your own time, inshallah, uh, either by way of the PDF or the book. So we'll go ahead and, and begin with Hadith 1. Any Questions, comments, or concerns before uh, before starting? We're okay? Okay, so let's go ahead and begin with, with Hadith 1. The title is The Heart is Central. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. The Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, Halal is clear and haram is clear, and between them and between the two are ambiguous matters that many people do not know their rulings. So whoever avoids the ambiguous matters will safeguard his religion and reputation, and the one who falls into them falls in the haram. 
forbidden, like the shepherd who grazes around the sanctuary and is about to cross into it. Indeed, every king has a sanctuary, and the sanctuary of Allah is his prohibitions. And indeed, in the body there is a morsel of meat, that if it is well, the rest of the body will be well. And if it is corrupt, then the rest of the body will be corrupt. It is the heart. So many, if not all of us, have you know some level of familiarity with either the entire hadith or parts of the hadith, especially the beginning part, um, that was halal is clear, was haram is clear, and between them there are many ambiguous matters. Most people don't know them. And then especially all the way at the end, there's a, there's a piece of flesh in the body. Here it says meat. That's fine. Personally, I would translate it as flesh. Uh, no biggie either way. There's a piece of flesh in the body. If it's, if it's good, if it's righteous, if it's well, then everything else is well. And if it's corrupt, then everything else follows suit as well. So just to kick things off, does anyone have any reflections, any thoughts uh, in relation to the hadith? There's no right or wrong answer, just anything that stands out to you. Yes, ma'am. Um, so I guess the part that stood out to me was, it says halal is clear and haram is clear. Mm-hmm. And it says, so whoever avoids the ambiguous matters which is in between. But how can you avoid, sometimes you have to, like you can't really avoid the ambiguous, sometimes you have to, you just don't know, but mm-hmm. you, you know, sometimes you question, so you don't know if you can do it or not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it, it sounds like you're referring to real life when sometimes we all find ourselves stuck in, it's not just that they're gray areas, but sometimes there can be like a lot of urgency to that situation. And it's kind of like, okay, normally I would go and ask an expert in, you know, whatever situation, but in some situations, you know, you would if you could, but what if you can't, then how do you navigate it? Are you kind of referring to that type of situation? Mm-hmm. So, very good point. So, what it's saying is to avoid it if the person is not aware of the nuances of it and if they don't have access to ask someone who's aware of the nuances. So, if somebody has a really complicated uh, finance question in terms of being Muslim in the West, right? Better safe than sorry, just to start with. But if you have access to someone who's an expert in Islamic financing in the West, for example, and they have like many, many, many years of experience, then that's kind of the the way to go, basically. So if there isn't if there isn't that option or that opportunity, then the default is to be safe and to try to avoid them. Um, but the uh, the way to to navigate those murky waters essentially would be by consulting an expert sometimes many experts to see what they have to say and then you kind of you know synthesize your conclusion go ahead so like an example like i'm just gonna be honest with you mm-hmm. so like you know what's halal meat and what's haram meat mm-hmm. and then some, like i don't know if this is i just heard this somewhere like chick-fil-a like from people of the book but mm-hmm. you know if like that counts as something you can eat or not eat but like you just don't eat it mm-hmm. or you go ask somebody that like so what you're saying could potentially apply um because what you're referring to is, and it's it's funny because not disregarding that issue, but but there are several issues which some people may describe them as black and white, or they may see them as black and white, and others may see them as having gray areas. So how do you navigate that? It can get really confusing. Uh, so taking that as an example, if a person, if they have, we just talked about it on Saturday in the Sisters Halakha, Chick Fil A specifically also came up. <laughs> Subhanallah. 
Chick-fil-A. And what, what's the other one that usually comes up? Chick-fil-A and what? And in and out. <laughs> Guess which two came up on <laughs> on Saturday? It was it was those two. Mashallah. So that that could be, and um, I, I think that is a good example because okay, so the the simple fact of the matter, without getting into like a bunch of details, there are different opinions among scholars, right? So okay, if there's this opinion from here, that opinion from there. Technically speaking, practically speaking, if a person were to avoid it, and if they were to go to, I don't know, Cheesecake Factory and get salmon and whatever else, then you're definitely okay, right? So there, there are ways, you know, regarding these uh, day-to-day things to, uh, to kind of steer clear at times. And then if someone is curious, th- there is that positive reinforcement and encouragement from the Prophet to learn more and from Allah Himself. That if you don't know, ask people, ask ex- experts. So, the the ayah uh, which is found in different places in the Quran, when Allah says, The the people of dhikr of that thing are the experts in that field, right? So what it's saying is again for financing. If you don't know, the best thing is to go ask someone who does know, who not just knows something's related to it, especially if it's a more complicated question, but to go to a specialist in that. So if somebody, let's say they haven't done thorough research regarding that issue, how do you navigate, you know, what to eat and what what not to eat in general? And then what about living in the West as Muslims and how do you navigate that? You definitely have like the, the safe side. And then before making any decisions either way, then the encouragement would be to, to do more research and to look more into it and to understand genuinely and as deeply as we can, like, okay, where are these different opinions coming from, where are these different, like, what's the line of logic for each uh, opinion, and at the end of the day, we just need a Muslim to open a Chick-fil-A, and then just halal, <laughs> I don't even know if that's an option or not, but if that happened around here, mashallah, there are a lot of Muslims in the Sacramento area, so I think quite a few people would, uh, if it's within general proximity, I think they would find a way to to, to go, but that is a good example, uh, thank you for sharing that, any any other thoughts, any uh, reflections, anything that anybody wants to share? I should start randomly calling on people. I'm just kidding. Okay, so we can move on to the commentary. The most important part of the body is the heart, and its condition determines the quality of our lives and iman. Iman meaning faith. Following the halal, permissible, and avoiding the doubtful and the haram, forbidden, happens only because of the piety of the heart. The morsel, the morsel inside the body, go back to a time where you felt really happy and contented. Maybe you just received some good news or everything around you felt right and you were in a, in a great mood. It would help if you actually pause and try this. Okay, so to take a moment, pause. When was the time that each person was in? Uh, a really ecstatic, great mood. Go back to that time and think, how did your body react? Was it also happy? Were your eyes happy, finding beauty in everything you saw? I thought that was a really good point. Was your tongue happy, gushing with sweetness and kindness to all those around you? Were you more satisfied with your life? Were you more forgiving and patient with people's mistakes and offenses? Now, please switch and remember a time when you were sad and depressed I apologize for asking you to do this, but it will be helpful if you actually do it. Were your eyes also sad, failing to notice joy around you and spotting imperfections instead? 
Was your tongue sad, repeating phrases of desperation and lashing out at people slash things around you? Were you more likely to punish and condemn those who offend, who offend you? Did you feel you were depleted of energy? Did you feel tired or even physically sick? The effect our emotions have on our bodies is undeniable. In fact, the way we feel can make us physically healthier or sicker. Feeling depressed alters the levels of serotonin in the body and makes us more sensitive to pain. Depression also compri compromises our immune system, making us less able to fight infection and disease. It also increases our stress hormone levels and increases our chances of heart disease. There is also research to suggest that happiness has a positive physical influence on the body. In a similar fashion, and as the hadith confirms, the religious state of the heart determines the religious state of the body and how upright it is. So the health of the heart in more than one way determines the health and well-being of the body. We can pause there and see. Does anyone have anything they want to share? Any thoughts or reflections? Anything that uh, they'd be comfortable with sharing? Is there anything that jumps out of the page at you? I'll just wait. <laughs> yes. um, I guess just the idea of the connection, like this one thing, and that, and like it's a physical thing, but it's also an emotional thing, and that's like there's so much, there's so many eyes about the uh, about the heart and the put on, and it's emotional, but even though it's a physical thing, mm -hmm. but it's always like the emotional um, connection. I think, mm -hmm. and I think that's something so interesting, and even in science, it's like proven, you know, like. If you're in a, in a good state and you're feeling good, like your body is like, like you said, you fight disease and you can fight sickness better when you when you're like in a better mental state. Mm -hmm. So the what is it psychosomatic, like the connection between the physical and the emotional is just. Mhm. Mm That's a really good point, Zakhlaqai, for sharing. Not to put you on the spot, but is there anyone else who wants to to share? Why? <laughs> Random. <laughs> I second one <Wano> also. <laughs> um, I just like, I appreciate that the book is tying in mental health with spiritual health because they are so closely tied, and I think mm -hmm. it's important to highlight that connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and you're saying this as someone in which field? You know, kind of in the mental health field. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a little. Much more than a little, mashallah. <laughs> yes, ma'am, in the back. Um, how do you know when to create that division between, oh, my iman is low versus I'm having like bad mental health? Because I feel like that's a conversation we've been having a lot lately. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of scholars say that like you are not feeling the way you are feeling because you are displeasing the lost and bad. Rather, there might be like other avenues you could, you know, take care of. What do you What do you think about that? Like. Very good question. Do you want to comment on that before I do? Um, so you're asking how do you know which one is uh, needs some help? They're all so interconnected. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Health is such a holistic picture. You gotta look at all of it, right, to see what's going on. Um, and so this is also where like talking to someone would be helpful to help discern because I think <coughs> when you're the one in that position it's hard to differentiate right because the discomfort is so loud it's hard to tell what's going on 
But if you talk to someone, especially someone who knows you pretty well, they might be able to help point out, you know, it sounds like it's more spiritual or it sounds like it's more mental. Um, maybe it's both. So to get an outside opinion or yeah, feedback from someone me, else. Right, or someone who has like background in spiritual health or mental health. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also the importance, I say this as an imam, of recognizing like the Venn diagram holistically, completely. At times there is the overlap and at times there's not. So on, on my end, whenever there is something that may be outside of that Venn diagram that I'm very... Um, quick and consistent in referring people to trusted mental health professionals, recognizing and knowing that, okay, this is something, you know, beyond a certain scope. And that's where it's extremely, extremely beneficial, helpful, pivotal. A hundred words come to mind um, in connection with the value of responsible, sincere Muslim mental health specialists. Like, if there's one thing I wish we had more of in the community, it's that. Because there's so many times and there's so many things that people go to an imam for, myself or others, and I can very often recognize, and and I offer the encouragement that after listening to them as a human being and validating whatever it may be, then, you know, let me refer you to an expert because that's actually where you need to go. So a lot of people may think that, you know, something is going on, let me go talk to an imam, but then a lot of the time it's not directly related to that realm, but what's, and there's a huge, huge need. I mean, there's just so much trauma in the general Muslim community from so many angles um, and in so many ways. So going back to the the question that was uh, that was mentioned, I kind of think of it, not to oversimplify things, but I kind of think of it as um, like human beings as like a pie or a pizza that you kind of slice in three ways, right? It's not only one. So spiritual health has its third. Again, it's a very simple breakdown. It's not the whole pizza. So some people may, with all due love and respect, some you know imams or scholars, they may um, only give the response from a spiritual angle as if that one slice, which is a third, that's a good amount, sometimes it's made to be the entire pizza when it's not. And I think there needs to be more of uh, a conversation within the Muslim community regarding this, that when you comb through the Qur'an and the Sunnah of the Prophet with like lenses related to mental health, then you'll find an emotional health and depression and anxiety, PTSD, you'll find it, but you have to be open to looking for it. So when you look at the Prophet ﷺ, after, as a human, after his wife Khadija passes away, who was his primary um, source of internal support, like within the home, so if he goes out, has a rough day with some rough people, and he goes home, then she's got his back, and she's there to comfort him and to offer, like, she's, she was such a significant and strong pillar in his life. The first thing he did when Revelation came to him, he went straight to her, cover me, cover me, right? Zamiluni, zamiluni, dathiruni, dathiruni. And it's interesting to note that now, 
if someone is in a state of shock, one of the things they might do is put blankets on them. So interestingly, he goes to her and he's like, cover me, cover me. And would anyone go to the Prophet and say, why would you respond in that way? You know, was there something with, with, with your iman or with your... No. Fast forwarding, to, which is the, the main point that I'm getting to in connection with this, when the Prophet's wife, Khadija, passes away, again, his... Like, you know the expression, ride or die? Like, she was there for him so much, especially through those first 10 years. And Mecca was very different than Medina. She didn't live to see Medina, and she passes away directly in connection with the difficulties they went through in the boycott, uh, you know, during that really difficult period of time. She passes away, Abu Talib, his uncle, who he was very close to, he really loved him very deeply uh, and sincerely. Abu Talib was his primary source of external support as like a political figure in Mecca among Quraysh. He lost both of these pillars in his life for many, many, many years in general, and then especially in connection with his mission, with his da'wah. And on top of that, in such a difficult, emotionally like challenging state to be in, that's when he goes to Ta'if. Why did he go to Ta'if? Well, he couldn't stay in Mecca. The Muslims can't be in Mecca if Abu Talib isn't there to protect them as a shield anymore. So, I mean, who, who's, so if Abu Lahab's in charge, it's just not going to work. So that's why he goes to Ta'if. And then that whole, uh, you know, disastrous event happens. The point that I'm making is the year that came after that is known as what? The year of low iman? What's it known as? The year of weak taqwa? No one would ever use that to describe the Prophet, but the only reason why I'm saying it is because it's awkward even to hear it, even to say it. What, what is that year known as? The year of sadness, the year of sorrow. Right? Which, which is fine. That's a, a valid explanation. I think a more modern day way of translating it would be a year of depression. No one would go to the Prophet and say, I think your Iman is low because you miss your wife who had your back so much for 25 years. Maybe your Iman is low because, you know, your uncle Abu Talib, you know, he passed away. You know, he's just a human being. Why do you care so much? Why are you, why are you like... Why, basically, why do you feel anything in connection with the dunya? Isn't your iman, you know, supposed to be sky high? And so, a lot of the time, there's this confusion, right? It's okay to feel sad. It doesn't mean your iman is necessarily low. The Prophet himself was going through a rough patch emotionally. He wasn't sure if, like, Allah was upset with him or not, because there was a pause in revelation, and Allah reveals Surah Al-Duha which is kind of like a divine antidepressant in a way. Like the whole surah is just this bright light of optimism. That things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. Things are going to get better. Remember in the past when th- things seemed impossible that they were going to get better, but then they did. Remember when you were an orphan and we took care of you? Remember when you were poor and we enriched you through marrying Khadija? Remember when you were seeking and we guided you? So Allah mentioned those three things that at face value they seem like really impossible difficulties. An orphan in a tribal society, how could you possibly survive? So Allah's reminding him in that impossible situation, I made it possible. In this other one, I made it possible. This other one, I made it possible. 
that's regarding the past and connection with the present at that time. So then Allah tells the Prophet, so now in the present, do good deeds to help those who are struggling now, basically how you were struggling then. So you were an orphan, we took care of you, so now help orphans. Now, if people have questions and they're seeking guidance, you know, try to help them with their questions. So the, the, the importance and the value of helping others and paying it forward. And the, the psychological and emotional benefits of that is, is really incredible. Any, and it, it ties in so beautifully and powerfully with the hadith of the Prophet that every good deed is a charity. So someone may be like, I would give X amount of money, but I can't. But you can remove something harmful from the road. You can share a smile. You can ask someone, hey, how are you doing? You can call someone to check in on them, so on and so forth. So it's not just financial, as important as that is at times, but the Prophet, he opened the scope entirely. Every good deed. Every good deed is a type of charity. So going back to, I think it's, I want to spend some time on it because I think it's so important um, to have this discussion. And thank you for such a, a, a real um a real question and an and issue that I think a lot of the time a lot of us kind of wonder about, think about, and and reflect on. Um, going back to the like that pie or that pizza, if it's cut into thirds or sliced into thirds, physically, mentally, spiritually, mentally, and, and emotionally, if we count that as as one slice, sometimes it depends on one out of the three, sometimes two out of the three, any one out of the three, any two out of the three, sometimes all three out of three, right? So even if someone, um, if they're, you know, uh, going to therapy, for example, there's a lot of benefit in that. And let's say someone, they're, um, they're trying their best regarding their iman in terms of prayer and Qur'an, so on and so forth. But physically, if someone, have you guys seen the movie or heard of the movie Super Size Me? from back in the day like if someone seeing a therapist dean all, but then if they're eating McDonald's like breakfast, lunch and dinner and then two weeks later it's like man I feel really bad that slice so to speak is is where the issue is for example so we're holistic beings right all of these things are are interconnected in many ways so sometimes there can be I think speaking to a trusted other person is a really good idea uh, and they can, you know, they can share uh, their their thoughts and and reflections with you. Sometimes it's again only one out of the three. Sometimes two. Sometimes all three. And um, usually there 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 are some pretty I don't want to say simple, but kind of like a few boxes to to check. Regard are you getting enough sleep. If someone has young kids, the answer is no. God help them. Like it's it's just. Man, why do I feel so bad all the time? How come, like, when, when I'm not because of the kids, God bless them, but just like, it just, who here has kids? Who here has kids? I, I have two monsters at home. God bless them. Yeah, you have kids. You know exactly what I'm talking about. You you love them so much, right? They are your world. Um, it takes a toll. It just does, and that's part of why Allah says in the Quran, like, be good to your mom. You have no idea what she's gone through, you know, for you. And it's funny because, like, if as the husbands and fathers, like, if we get exhausted as the help, it's like, then what about, you know what I mean? What about, what about the the mom? It's just it takes so much. It takes such a toll. No one should 
and I hope nobody would, go to, you know, the mom of a newborn and be like, oh, sister, you don't have the same khushu as you did, you know, the same focus in your prayer as you did five, ten years ago, like when life was just in a totally different phase. How come, you know, your, your prayer is not as long as it used to be? And it's kind of like, if you don't know what I'm going through, be quiet. <laughs> just leave it alone. And it's, it's a grind that, my, my point is like, Life in, in all these different areas, it fluctuates, right? There are ups and there are downs and, and all these different things are going to be interconnected and interrelated. So, okay, physically, very basic, you know, um, simple boxes. How am I doing in terms of uh, diet, exercise, sleep, in terms of mental slash emotional uh, health? How am I doing in terms of support? Uh, am I speaking to a therapist? Like, how how am I doing in 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 that regard? And what are some like basic litmus tests? And then spiritually, um, as well. And it, it's not it's not just about um, checking like the boxes, so to speak. Of am I am I praying? That definitely has its time and its place. But prayer, not just quantitatively, but also qualitatively, right? It doesn't mean the is going to be four and a half hours, but if I'm at times, we all have to rush when we pray, and it goes quicker than we know it probably should. That's just real life, especially when you have kids sometimes. Um, but am I aware of my general connection with Allah, with spirituality, with it could be prayer, it could be dhikr, it could be Quran, it could be you know any act of spirituality. An example could be going to feed the homeless. Um, or give sadaqah, you know, give charity, whatever it may be. So there are a couple of different things um, to, to kind of to start with and then to potentially go deeper if need be. Does anyone have any, any thoughts on that in any way? Yes, ma'am. How in in general, or how did he? How did he? Okay, so I'll respond to that as part one, and then part two. <laughs> okay, see it's, it's, the importance of, of people who are experts in different fields, mashallah. Um, and then I'll I'll come to you afterwards, inshallah. So in terms of the prophet, and I think it's such a powerful like setting when. Allah took him on the journey of Al-Isra Wal-Mi'raj The night journey From Mecca to Jerusalem And then the ascent uh, through the heavens What's interesting to note is that when you look at um, Different pillars in Islam They came by way of revelation Right, so in Surah Al-Baqarah you have the famous verses That Allah prescribes fasting upon the believers You have verses related to Hajj You have verses related to Zakah in Surah Muhammad, Allah says, فَعْلَمْ أَنَّهُ لَا إِلَهَ إِلَّا اللَّهِ For prayer, when the five daily prayers were officially prescribed, and I think the word prescribed is good, prescribed, prescription, healing, medicine, 
like spiritual medicine, it wasn't it wasn't the same dynamic. It wasn't given to the Prophet in the same way. So instead of the revelation coming down to the Prophet like these other pillars, the Prophet was brought to Allah. The Prophet was uh, taken on this incredible, incredible journey in order to like be given that gift directly, basically. And Al-Hasan al-Basri, who is um, an early scholar from the generation after the Sahaba, I think he described it very beautifully when he said that the prayer of the believer is their own personal mi'raj. It's like their own, you know, small like moment of their own figurative Isra' al-mi'raj in terms of ascending um, little by little, but the idea of ascending over our worries, ascending, you know, over some of the worries, some of the pain. It's not, you know, it's not a magic button you push it, everything is fine. Because even the Prophet, years later, like he would, he would physically, like, change when he would hear the voice of Sayyidah Khadija's sister because they sounded alike. This was years after she had passed away. But if he heard her voice, then, like, it was almost like, you know, a flashback. And it was kind of like, oh, it's, 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 it's her sister, it's her sister, right? He kind of had to remind himself, and, and you have this discussion that he had with Sayyidah Aisha radiallahu anha. Um, did he ever, quote-unquote, get over it? I, I, I definitely wouldn't word it in that way. I also don't think so. Because these are reports that were, you know, years later in Medina, and... So much had happened, you know, by these different points in time. But if, if my guess is, and this is, I, you know, uh, love to get your your input on this. My guess is there was healing, but I don't know if it ever fully healed. Or do you have any thoughts on that concept in general? Like fully healing from yeah, like from from loss or from trauma. you can come to a place of acceptance um, and the nature of grief and usually there is grief around any kind of traumatic event whether whether you're losing someone or abuse or anything like that there will always be grief around it um, you know grief kind of comes and goes but it becomes more manageable I kind of use this example of like imagine if your heart is a box and there is a button taking up an entire side of the box and it's labeled pain. And there's a little ping pong ball that's bouncing around in a box. Every time it hits the pain button, it hurts. So when you first experience something difficult, the pain button's really big. Over time, if you're working on it and healing, that button gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It never goes away, but it just gets really small. So the ping pong ball will hit it less frequently. And then when it does hit it, because it's smaller, the impact is smaller and more manageable. I think that that's a really uh, good example. Thank you, one, for being here. <laughs> Thank you for sharing. For those who didn't catch it, I'm sure everyone did. Mashallah, she's a therapist, so, um, you know, uh, I think your input has a lot, of, a lot of benefit for all of us, including myself, just to hear what your thoughts and reflections are. So thank you for sharing that. Jazakallah khair. Does anyone else want to share anything in connection with anything that's been mentioned thus far? Do you have a follow-up? Question to, uh, that was really, I've never heard an example when you were talking about 
And no one would go to the Prophet and say, I think you're... Im-. Like, he was also a human, and he was heartbroken. Years later, um, many years later in Medina, so he had he had seven children in his life, والسلام, uh, four girls and three boys. So the first boy, Al-Qasim, passed away as a child. The second boy, Abdullah, passed away as a child. And then years later in Medina, his son Ibrahim passes away again as a child. And when that happened, uh, we, we have reports in connection with that specific instance. When that happened, um, the Prophet, he wept, he cried. And there was a male companion who was there who had known the Prophet like for a long time. So it's, it's, I mention that because it's not like he had just become Muslim and this is like the first day that he's seeing the Prophet. He's known the Prophet for years like an OG Muslim, not, I mean, I don't want to use that term, but like going back to the early days in Mecca. <laughs> and he asked the Prophet, like, even you, Ya Rasulullah, like, even you are crying? And the Prophet said, yeah. The eyes shed tears. The, the heart feels, you could say, sorrow. You could even say depression. But the tongue only says what is pleasing to Allah. The main, the main point that I want to emphasize is that he cried from pain as a human, as a father who lost a child again. Like, it's, it's um, interesting to note that when you look at, like in, in different languages, you have different terms, you have more terms for certain things based on the importance of that thing in that culture or maybe less. Like, here and now, you don't just have coffee, right? <laughs> you have different flavors and varieties and, you know, light roast and medium roast. And it's something that matters in our culture, in our society. So there's a lot of nuance within the language and connection with that. And that's the case throughout human history in any culture, society, or language. It's interesting to note that if you just take English, for, for example, you have a term for widow or widower. So somebody loses a spouse. If somebody loses their parents, they're an orphan, but there's no term for someone who loses a child, even one. Like, it literally cannot be put into words. There's not a specific word for it. And the Prophet والسلام, he he buried six out of his seven children. Like, just that, aside from everything else that he went through, aside from all the slander, aside from... Like, there's so much that he went through on so many levels... Losing Sayyidah Khadija and Abu Talib and being chased out of Ta'if. And later Sayyidah Aisha would ask him if the day of Uhud, because after there was like the counterattack basically and a lot of confusion, a lot of Sahaba ended up dying. As a result, the Prophet almost died as a result. He was severely injured as a result. Later Sayyidah Aisha would, would ask him uh, if the day of Uhud was the most difficult day in his life. And he said, no, it was the day of Ta'if. And... I think one of the reasons why the incident of Taif in and of itself is extremely putrid. He goes, he tries to invite people to Islam, and, and we know the story, right? He's chased out of the city, rocks are thrown at him, he ends up bleeding, and and he's given the, the option, like, if you want them to be decimated right now, uh, that can be the case. And somehow, I think this is like a proof of his prophecy, alayhi salatu wasalam. He still has, like, his blood on him, in his like soaked in his, in his sandals and his shoes, and he's 
Jibreel comes to him and gives him the opportunity. If you want, the angels who are in charge of these mountains can completely destroy these people who just did this to you. And somehow, والسلام, he says, no, maybe their kids will become Muslim. And eventually that's what happened. Eventually those people became Muslim and their kids became Muslim. And until now, this is like straight from God. The number one place as it relates to exporting roses in the world, in not Muslim countries, in the world, is which city? Taif. The most roses, the best roses literally come, because of the climate, come from that city. Like, to us as Muslims, it's like, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. It's incredible. And and to us, you know, we see that سَنُرِهِمْ آيَتِنَا فِي الْآفَاقِ وَفِي أَنفُسِهِمْ حَتَّى يَتَبَيْنَ لَهُمْ أَنَّهُ الْحَقِّ That is just like, to us it's so clear that there's something there that can't be coincidence. There has to be, um, you know, a lot that we can that we can derive from that. So he, he goes to invite them, because he's looking for, um, an, I don't want to say headquarters, but a new, like, I'll just use the term headquarters for, if you think of a better term, anyone tell me, for the Muslims. Um, because So they were in Mecca, and then his uncle Abu Talib, his, his paternal uncle, one of them, was an extremely significant political supporter and ally. So when he passed away, then that political shield was gone. So now the Prophet and his community of the Muslims, now they were fair game, in a sense. So he was trying to communicate with different tri- tribal leaders. When they would come to Mecca, he would try to you know, talk to them and see if they were willing to basically take them in, essentially, as refugees. Uh, and nothing was working out, so he decided to go to Ta'if, which was this, the second of the two major cities at that time. So in, in Surah Zukhruf when Allah mentions um, Those two great cities are Mecca and Ta'if So he went there to see if they were willing to host them basically If they were willing to you know, uh, accept them as refugees to take them in And to allow them to kind of settle there peacefully And so part of that was he was also inviting their, their tribal leaders to, uh, to Islam and instead of simply declining and turning him down, when he was exiting the city, they had all like the, basically the, the riffraff of the city, they, they told them um, as the Prophet and his uh, basically adopted son Zayd ibn al-Haritha, when they, were, when they were leaving, the leaders basically of Ta'if told the, the riffraff of the city to like pelt them with rocks and stones as they were leaving. So they, it could have been enough to just, you know, decline and let him go home, which would be basic courtesy. They didn't do that. They had him um, basically pelted with rocks and stones as he was exiting the city. And then by the time he finally got out, he found some shade under a tree. And uh, that's when that whole incident unfolded. So it's not just the reason why I think that that incident... It, in and of itself is extremely clearly painful and difficult but I think the reason why he described that as the most difficult day in his life is because of all the other things in the backstory as well because he had just lost Khadija he had just lost Abu Talib there's so much worry about his community 
he goes to Taif as this, you know, <laughs> the kindest person ever invites them to Islam on a silver or a gold platter, so to speak, and he was mistreated in that way. So it was like pain on top of pain on top of pain. And it's amazing when, when he, you know, he makes his way out of the city, um, then that was when, you know, that whole conversation happened with, with Jibreel. And it, it's amazing that there were some Qurashi men in the distance they had a so it's kind of like if if people lived in Mecca they may have had what we would call now like a summer home in Taif because it was cooler weather it was climate you could grow grapes and you know whatever um, so there were some Qurashi men that were from Quraysh who were there and they saw like their even if they disagreed with him religiously at the time they saw their fellow tribesmen who's in such poor condition so they told their servant Adas to go and give him some grapes so he goes and gives it to him and before the Prophet Alayhi starts eating, he says, Bismillah. And uh, Adas asked him, like, what? Like, <laughs> like, what did you say? Like, the the Arabs, you know, they don't they don't say that. And the Prophet asked him, Oh, where are you from? He said, from Nineveh, Nineveh in, in Iraq. And so the Prophet said, Oh, you're from where? Uh, Yunus ibn Matta, Pro- Prophet Jonah, I think in English, is from. And so then Adas was even more surprised, like, how do you know about him? Like, these, that name is not known around these parts. And the Prophet responded by saying that he's my brother. He was a Prophet and I'm a Prophet. And the Prophet just got kicked out and was thoroughly rejected in such an ugly manner by so many people. It's amazing that when that happens with Adas, then Adas embraces Islam and embraces the Prophet and it's amazing, And then shortly after that, there was the Isra al Mi'raj, that journey. So, going back to um, the the topic of of healing, what I really love about that story is that prayer was given to the Prophet as a gift and as medicine, right? So that should be factored in significantly as it relates to how we see prayer. How do we teach our kids about prayer? How do we teach the youth about prayer? How do we teach other people about prayer? Is it, you know, this is something you have to do and it's cold and hard and that's it? Or is there the backstory? Is there the, 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 the understanding that this was given as a remedy from God himself to the Prophet himself? And that has so much more um, context to it. And it... it, it, it I don't want to say that like it humanizes it so amazingly, but just that backstory, it 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 just adds so much more to it as opposed to hey, get up, go pray, because I said so. It's kind of like generally speaking, what I've seen from kids is that they there, and I alhamdulillah, I've I've seen this in and by the grace of God, teaching many kids over over many years, like 11, 12 years now. The fitra is so strong in them. Like, they're so naturally already inclined towards doing good, towards being honest, towards wanting to imitate their parents, towards wanting to go to the masjid if it's turned into a fun thing for them, if it's turned into like a, a positive experience, uh, which is why for the fellow parents here, what I, what my wife and I, what we try to do is we have, so this is like a, you know, low-key, you know, Dean hack. Uh, from Friday to Friday, we have, my, my kids are seven and four. Nura is seven, 
she's finishing first grade. Inshallah, she'll be in second grade soon. And Siraj is four. He's finishing out TK. He'll be in kindergarten soon. Uh, just for, for context. So we have this thing weekly called Juma points, where each of them have to get to 10 Juma points each week. And then if you do so, then they each get a Juma snack. Right? So they're not old enough where they're quite coming to, to Juma yet. Um, but after Juma, what I try to do is to go and you know pick something up and and take it home to them, and so they have the feeling like they're motivated to put their toys away, they're motivated to brush their teeth or whatever. Um, so that helps. But in the back of our minds, let's so they can especially subconsciously have positive feelings and memories in connection with this term Juma. So then as they grow up, for them, Juma is this positive, nostalgic feeling where, hey, they associate something sweet with Juma. It could be literally, it could be ice cream, it could be cake pops, it could be whatever. But the main goal is, like, how can we cultivate a love, hopefully, not, not just within them, but within all of our kids and kids in general, inshallah, to love Islam, to love the masjid, to, to, to love the Prophet, to love Allah. And th- there's so much already there in their fitra, like they're already 99% there. It's just a matter of, you know, tinkering a little bit here, a little bit there, but it's just, it, it's there. So it breaks my heart when, you know, there's so many people, so many youth and, and, and adults. Um, whenever I come across stories of people, either directly or indirectly, who are turning away from Islam or whoever turned away from Islam, Personally, I have I have no judgment towards them. I have like nothing in my heart towards them. My hope is, Ya Allah, they must have not tasted the sweetness of it, so give them that sweetness. So bring them back to it and show them the beauty of the scene. Show they they must simply have again this is no judgment, but they must simply not have known the Prophet. Because to know the Prophet is to love him. When anyone when when Gandhi, when he went through the biography biography of the Prophet, he himself he he wasn't Muslim. He he never became Muslim, as far as we know. Uh, he said, I, "I wish there was more, right?" Which is who the Prophet was, Alaihissalam. And it's Sira is is like oxygen, right? It's it's not like, hey, I'll go through the Sira once and that's it. But there's just this need to have that breathing relationship with the the life of the Prophet. And there's so much Qadha Iyad, a scholar from a long time ago. He titled. He has one of the most famous books on the biography of the Prophet. It's available in different languages, and the name of it is Shifat, which means healing, which is such a perfect name for the life of the Prophet. Because through learning the life of our own Prophet, والسلام, there's so much healing for any of us and for um, for all of us. So may Allah help us to you know to connect with him more, to connect with his legacy more. And the Prophet was this incredible empathetic person this incredibly compassionate merciful person and he embodied that and when he was going through a hard time uh, during the year of sorrow or year of depression however however you translate it or explain it during that time I believe Surah Yusuf was revealed and it's interesting within Surah Yusuf there's a lot of grief would anyone go to Prophet Yaqub, Prophet Jacob and tell him you're crying so much because you lost your son so many years ago. You keep crying so much to the point that you physically become blind. 
I think you need to get over it. Isn't your iman low? Like, what is? No one would say that, right? So there's a lot of reflection to take, especially from that surah. And when you look at the, there's the prophetic side of the prophets and also the human side, right? So Prophet Yaqub, there's the prophetic side. There's also the human side, in which he he wept so much, and how many you know Muslims, how many. Um, People have heard, oh, it's been so long, you need to get over it, you need to move on, you need to... I mean, when when you look at that um, example specifically, it's it's very clear, like, it's okay to feel, it's okay to feel down, it's okay to, and it's not necessarily in connection with, uh, with someone's iman, it's not, sometimes it might be, that's a whole separate thing, but a lot of the time, it's not because it's a different slice of that pizza. There's that connection but you know, a lot of wisdom is needed in terms of how to you know traverse that discussion with people and, and to discuss that topic. Uh, I appreciate everyone attending today, carving out time from your busy schedules um, to come and attend, and I'm really thankful for everyone attending, and then uh, especially for those who are willing to share anything, any thoughts, reflections, to ask any questions. Uh, it's really uh, appreciated. I think there was. I was going to come to Sister Farah after. Sorry, I think it was like several minutes ago, but was there something that you wanted to share before we... Okay. Any, any before we... Aisha's at 10.10. Anyone who wants to stay, go. Everyone has a different you know, schedule. Do what you got to do. Um, any concluding thoughts, questions, remarks, reflections before we uh, wrap up, inshallah? Okay, so we can go ahead and conclude. Again, thank you all for being here. I do hope to see all of you next week. Uh, if you want to encourage any uh, friends you have who are also in the general range of young professionals, then please do encourage them to come. And if they can't come uh, in person, to at least tune in online. Uh, we ask Allah to accept our efforts, and we ask Allah to overlook any of our shortcomings. We ask Allah for healing for all of us. We ask Allah to heal us, especially spiritually. We ask Allah to heal our hearts physically, mentally, and spiritually. And we ask Allah to help all of us to come closer to Him, to learn more about His Prophet ﷺ, and to try to embody that prophetic compassion that the Prophet left us with through His example, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Amni rabbil alameen. Subhana rabbika rabbil azzati amma yasifun. Wa salamun al-mursaleen. Walhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.